Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. We're so glad you're here today. I want to just remind everybody, I announced it earlier, but just one more time. Next week, 9.15 in person. 9.15 and 11 will be online. Let's go. We have a mess going on around us, don't we? Things are crazy. Just want you to know that. Um, well, first off, let's go back a little bit. Um, you know this, that I gave my life to Christ when I was 19 years old. I uh, was a mess, broken, loved Kim. We had planned to get married. Uh, she was the only thing I cared about in life, period. I was broken and messed up. Jesus continued to pursue me until I finally said yes to him. And at the age of 19, he completely changed my life. And in that moment that he made me whole, he filled me with his love and changed me. I stopped doing the drugs, the alcohol, the other garbage that was in my life immediately. I just put it away. I fell in love with him and what he did in my life. He allowed me as an ignorant boy to speak his word and preach a message two weeks after I got saved with no training, no education, no nothing, just a passion to serve him and to do whatever he asked. So I was allowed to preach God's word two weeks after I gave my life to Christ, continue to preach God's word from that day forward till today. He allowed me to pastor. This is my third church that we have led. The church I grew up in was six years. Uh, the New Beginnings Church in Wayne, Michigan was 12 years, and we've been here 15 years. July 1st was our anniversary of being here 15 years. It's been an incredible privilege, and what a ride with God. Yeah, that's, he's amazing. He is. He was blessed, man. I want you to know that. As I was looking through and just thinking about stuff, I have preached God's word and messages way more than 2,000 times, messages. I don't, um, I don't like keep notes and re-preach things. I don't have a preaching calendar. Well, I do. It's every Sunday. Uh, that's my preaching calendar. Um, and as I listen to God and, and speak his word, I have found myself to be an incredibly blessed and privileged person to be able to do that. I don't take it lightly. And I know that uh, my heart is to please him. I know that he has been patient with me. And he has taught me and is still teaching me as I grow in my walk with him. As a pastor, as someone that would be privileged to speak the message of God. As I revisit through the years of my life and the messages that I have preached. This week as I was praying and asking God for direction. Um, I realized that this is the first time in all those over 2,000 times of preaching God's word that I would ever preach a message like I will today. 915 service was the first time, and this is the second. And this message is a message that has political implications to it. So everybody gets a little nervous when you say that, you know. You've already been told, you know this, you don't talk about religion or politics in the world, you can talk about anything else. Everybody's talking about politics right now. doesn't matter who you are. It's all over the place, right? And so as I'm praying for that and asking God for direction and clarity and, and that I would make sure that I'm hearing from him, I have no doubt that what I have to say to you do, today is from God and is God's word. And so if you would, please, I want you to help me and help yourself. Oftentimes when we start to hear things, not just spiritually, but politically and socially and everything else, when we hear something, we automatically begin to process it according to the way we think. We do. That's our normal response, right? And so I'm going to say some things today you may like think you know, and I'm not saying I'm giving you revelation. We're looking at God's word. But I'm saying you'll start to go down a road you shouldn't go down. Stay with us. 
Listen to God. Let him speak truth into our lives. It's critically important. So I know after the first service, when I started my introduction, there were some people that said, when you started, I was really nervous. <laughs> Afterwards, they said it was one of the best messages they've ever heard. So there you go. Just want to encourage you. All right? All right. So there's a mess all around us, isn't it? We live in an amazing country, even with all the mess. We're free. I can freely preach Jesus. Not only here in this room, but it's going online. It's everywhere. If I wanted to, I could walk out there in the parking lot and preach Jesus. All right? We are blessed. No matter what anybody else is saying out there, we are blessed to live in this country. One of the reasons that we are blessed to live here is because our founding fathers established this country on biblical truth. Whether you want to like that or agree with that or not, all you have to do is read the Declaration of Independence in the very beginning in the introduction. They acknowledge God and His presence. Right? All you got to do is read it, man. I'm not telling you to read that. We're not going to go into the Declaration of Independence today. I'm simply making a statement to you that those who began this country and were our founding fathers were not perfect people, but they sought to establish a nation built upon the teachings and the principles that God himself had given in his word. All right. Like it or not, that's the way it is, so just deal with it. All right, that's actual history. It's written in the Declaration of Independence. So even though we were built and, and structured on biblical principles, we've not always done things right. Political people, as a country, we haven't always done things right. That's a given. All right, I've been married to Kim for 37 years, and she still doesn't do everything right. All right? <laughs> I don't either. But I wanted to point that out first. So the fact of the matter is, even with differences of thought, even with differences of opinion, even with her free will of thinking and mind, we still have this amazing relationship of love. Okay? Just think about that for a minute as we look at our nation and where we're at. So we are founded upon biblical principles by God, and we understand that we haven't always done everything right. But we are still that nation in the moment. So throughout our history, we've stayed on course with God's boundaries and principles until recently when we started to push those lines away. Now, I want everyone in this room to understand I am not running for office and I'm not here to give a political speech. I'm here today to preach God's word to us but God has something to say to us and we need to know what God says to us as Christians about what it means to follow him and to be a citizen of any nation. Please understand this, church. Above everything else, God. Above everything else, God. Above my relationship with Kim, above my relationship with you as your pastor and with this nation, everything. God first. All right, that is where we need to start, is understanding that above all else, God. Underneath, God has taught me in my relationship with him about my responsibility as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, as a citizen. God's word speaks to all those areas of my life. 
God speaks to all those areas in your life. Everybody listening to his words. God's word, that's why we ask you, is spending time there. Because God addresses these issues. He challenges us. And he's asking us to live as his people in each and every area of our life. Therefore, God has a word for us about being citizens of this nation. Amen. All right. So here's the thing. Like a lot of people, everybody has opinions. Everybody does. And our opinions don't mean squat. They don't. Let's be honest. But God's does. And so when people begin to talk to me about political things, and I'm okay with that, just want you to know I am. I'm totally fine. But um, people, because I'm a, a pastor and a leader, they want me to have an opinion about all this stuff, and I should promote the opinion, and what they want promoted is their opinion because they think I should agree with theirs. So I should put it out there. And if I'm not speaking about their opinion, then I must be opposing it. Okay, so let's just look into God's word and see what God has to say to us about where we are, what we're doing, and what his plan is. So what I ask everyone that comes to me with a political agenda or whatever questions or thoughts, I ask them one question. Have you ever read Romans chapter 13? I just ask because, see, like if you read Romans chapter 13, there's a whole lot of clarity for us, church. We're going to do that together. Romans chapter 13. This is from God's word to us. You ready? Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Period. You hear that? <laughs> We're already like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? This is God's word. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. All right, we're just, we just read two verses and we just pretty much wiped out your social media. Come on, it's God's word. Now we're like, wait a minute, there's no way God put that person in that position. Yes, he did. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I know God. You're right. We have a lot to learn. See, because God's up to something. And God's doing something. And as we look in God's word, we're going to find out that God is always up to something. And he is working in ways that you and I can't ever imagine. So as we look in God's word right here, look, church, if we just obeyed these verses, we would eliminate most of the issues right now in the Christian community. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the Christian community. Where we stand, who we are, what we do, and how we act. Right there it tells us, you have no business trashing those that God has placed in offices above you. Sorry, but it's God's word, man. If you got a problem with it, you can talk to him. So why do we think that we can just do what we want and disobey God's word? We would never think of that in the other areas of our life. But somehow in the political arena, we kind of think like we can just do whatever we want. God's word addresses this. And he says, you can't. And as my people, I want you above all else to understand 
they're there because I let them be there. And I put them there, and I am actually using them. <laughs> okay. Um, see, we can disagree with people. We can have a different opinion about stuff, but we must be careful how we speak and what we promote as Christians. We're called to live our faith. And living our faith is including this section of Scripture. If you're a Christian, I want you to know this is God's Word for us. Not for them, not for when I feel like it, not for when they agree. This is God's Word for us. Here's uh, verse number 3 in that same chapter. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. <laughs> so, if you're doing right and living right, you got nothing to worry about. So what is, this is a very practical illustration of this, I want you to hear me. You're driving down the road and you see a police car, what's the first thing you do? <laughs> your foot comes off the gas immediately and you look right at your speedometer. Why? Because you already know you're probably speeding. Amen. All right? This is what he's saying, like, if you're doing the right thing, you got nothing to fear, but we all react the exact same way. I got big feet. I have an excuse. So I use my cruise control. That's why I use it. That's a great gift right there. It saved me a lot of money. All right? But this is what God's Word says. It's, 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 the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? This is God's Word asking the question. Do what is right. <laughs> Come on. It's like a no-brainer. It's like you don't have to worry about it when you're doing the right stuff. Not only that, they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. You know that verse in Romans 8.28 where it says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and call according to His purpose. See, what God just said to us is everybody that's in a position of authority over us has been placed there for our good. He didn't say they're all going to be good. He didn't say they're all going to do good. Nope. He said they're going to be there for our good. There's something up, and God is up to it. Here at church, today I want you to know God is up to something. He's not confused with the chaos of our nation He's not looking at the world and saying, whoa, we better hurry up and return because things are going crazy. God's up to something. He's working right now, man. Don't forget it. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them. Not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. <laughs> Pay your taxes, too. Man, I wish they'd have lost that line in the translation right there. You know what I mean? Could have saved us all a bunch of money. This is what God says to us as Christians. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone that you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. That's pretty straight up, isn't it? 
I mean, God's not leaving us any loopholes, and we're not supposed to be lawyers looking for God's loopholes so I can not do what he says. God's telling us something, church. We're supposed to be the best citizens that this country's ever had. We're supposed to represent him here in this land. And it doesn't matter what political party they may or may not be affiliated with. Amen. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. <laughs> See, our responsibilities as citizens is pretty clear. So let's look in God's word again a little further. And remember, this is what God spoke. See, God loved the nation of Israel. He loved a country of people. He loved them. And he called them his own, right? So it's not like God doesn't care about nations. He cares deeply. He does. And I know that he loves all nations and all people. His word declares that. But as we look at God in history and we look in the Old Testament, we know this. In the last few weeks and months there, we were preaching and talking about this. The fact that God calling Israel his people and the nation and that his covenant was with them. He also told them, look, I love you and you're going to do what I say. And if you don't, I'm going to punish you. And when you don't obey what I say, I will bring destruction upon you. And we looked in God's word, and with the warnings that God brought, he brought judgment upon his own people. He brought judgment upon his own people with pagan people who were not his people. Remember what we just read in the word of God, that God puts people in authority? The prophet Jeremiah, we were talking about this um, a few weeks ago, remember... God was speaking through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was preaching God's word to the people, saying God's judgment is coming. King Nebuchadnezzar is coming with the Babylonian army, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem, and they're going to take you captive. You must repent and surrender. This was Jeremiah's message to God's people. And in prayer time, when you read Lamentations and read parts of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was back in the closet talking to God, and he's saying, God, how can you do this? He's a pagan. He doesn't know you. How could you use such a man to bring judgment against your own people? God said, I'm doing something. Look, church, I mean, that's a, the abbreviated version of what he said to him, just so you know. It wasn't like in the text where he said, I'm doing something. God's doing something. He let Jeremiah know. He's like, I know what I'm doing. You go preach your word. So Jeremiah is preaching to the people, and we read the passage. We shared it a few weeks ago, and everybody knows it in your devotionals, that part where I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to bring you hope in the future and all that. And that is uh, 2911, I think, or 11 through 13 in that section of Jeremiah 29. But prior to that, when we read the scriptures, I want you to hear this. There was a message given from Jeremiah. This is, all right, so just a little bit of history real fast, like, in five, um, I mean, I'm sorry, in 605, uh, 606, I think, B.C. I, I may not be exact on those numbers, but it's in that area. Uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon besieged Jerusalem and Judah and took captives from the city and let it stand. And in that first wave of capture, he took and killed a bunch of people, but he took like a bunch of young people with promise. He saw them as teachable and usable for his nation. He took those that were good-looking and from higher-class people because they already had a start in their education. So in that wave of captives that he led away in chains were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So these were God-honoring, God-taught, God-following men whom were taken captive by a pagan. And this is where Jeremiah was struggling. He was like, you know, you're letting this pagan take your people captive. And these were godly men. But the godly men were taken in captivity as well. So just hear this out now. Now, Jerusalem is still here. There's people already in exile in Babylon. You know the chaos that continued. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Jerusalem before there was utter chaos and rebellion. And finally, King Nebuchadnezzar came in 596-97 B.C. and destroyed Jerusalem and Judah. Here's what's going on. God speaks a message through prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Just pausing there on purpose, because if you listen to that, he's like, look, it's not Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty armies that did this. It's not that he took you captive. I, God, placed you there. Do you see that? God says, this, I want to speak a message to all of you that I have placed in captivity. God speaking. Here's what he says to them. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. God's saying something. Look, God's saying, I have placed you in a bad pagan land. Plan to live there a while because I'm up to something. You know how many people I've heard say, man, I wish I didn't have kids. I don't think I'd have kids if I lived today. With all the problems of the world. God says, have kids. Not only have kids, have grandchildren. Why? Because God's saying we need to plant seeds of truth in them. We need those kids to be raised up. To know about God and to serve God. If everybody in the church quit having kids, we'd be in trouble. Okay, that's not telling everybody you should have another child. I'm just saying, this is what God's saying. But we're not done here. Multiply, do not dwindle away. Check out verse 7. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Its welfare will determine your welfare. God's saying, look, I know where you are. I know who's in office. I put you there. Now do something for me. Pray for them. Pray for them. Church, come on. How much have we worked, prayed, and strived for the peace and the welfare of our country, of our state, and of our city? If we prayed as much as we complained, we'd see change. This is what God's saying. He's saying work for it. Pray for it. Do something about it spiritually he does not tell us anywhere to mount up a march to you know gather a big gathering together and begin to demand your rights 
God tells us something right here. I want you to work for their peace and prosperity because what happens to them is going to happen to you. If they fall, it's going to suck, and it's going to suck for you. You need to pray that everything stays good because that's going to affect you. Pray for a good economy. Pray for good stuff because it's going to matter to you. This is God talking. Okay, church, like we're getting some pretty clear direction from God and his word. And now we're like, we can say that's Old Testament. So let's move into the New Testament. First Peter chapter two. Let's read what God's word says, not only in Old Testament, but New Testament. You're right. It's going to sound very similar to what we just read. First Peter chapter two, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as the head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. See what God's telling us is church, him first. But understanding as we serve him above all things, he's like, look, you need to understand that there are powers and people and places that I have established that you as my people must honor. That way I get glory through it all. It's all about him, remember? It's all about him. So, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, the message needs to be always directing us towards Jesus. So let's look to Jesus right now about this very topic. Jesus is accused wrongly. Church, remember that. And he faces execution under lying pretenses, and he is standing before a governing official for Rome. In the word of God, John chapter 19, let's engage this moment of seriousness in the life of Jesus and the world. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate asked. Don't you realize this is Pilate. Listen to this. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Jesus is going to speak up here, folks. Listen to this. Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So here's Jesus acknowledging as God has directed the authorities in the establishment of political power here on earth. This was a pagan empire, Rome. This was a pagan governor, Pilate. He had persecuted the Jews. He was not a good man if you look in history. And Jesus stands there and submits to the authority of Pilate, saying, you only have power because God gave it to you. Okay, guys. St 
still we see Jesus not only recognizing his appointment and placement. So, as we look at this then, when is it okay, biblically speaking, to stand against political order, to speak against religious leaders? How can we stand in opposition to the wrongs that are happening and do it the right way? It's important for us to know this because there's a lot of wrong ways going on in the world around us. So we always look back to God's word, and as we look in God's word, we want to find the answers to what God has to say to us about being citizens of this nation, but more importantly, citizens of heaven. So please hear these words. This is something I shared with you before, but I want to make sure we're hearing this right. We must not search the Bible to find the support for our choices. But search the Bible to know what choices to make. Church, see, what happens oftentimes, and this is a conversation, theological world, it's, it's the word that is used is like we're looking for proof texts. So we want to find something in the Bible that supports what I think and believe. So we'll select something and grab a hold of that one thing because this is the way I want to live in here and do. But instead of looking for proof texts, we need to let God's word speak to us and show us what God has to say so that our life will align with his word, not trying to make his word align with me. But we, we struggle with this always, and I understand that, okay? So let's look, though, in God's word and listen. There's, a, there's this perfect, beautiful illustration that God gives to us in his commandments. So remember, God's forming a political government and a people in Israel as he leads them out of Egypt. He says that I'm going to make you a nation. This is what God said, right? So now he starts to give them the law and order. And in Exodus 20, it's where God speaks the Ten Commandments to Moses. And the very first commandment is where we're going to go right now. You must not have any other God but me. See, God first above all things. Amen? You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God says, look, it's me first, period. And do not bow your knee to anything but me. God's saying this, right? Let's look to the book of Daniel for a moment. Remember now, we've touched these bases because we're going here for a reason. These guys were taken into captivity. Men of God led away in chains, now living in a pagan land, even though they'd been faithful to God. Still being faithful to God in the pagan land. Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy's full of himself. He thinks he's amazing. He has conquered the world, and he is stretching his empire, and he is the world power in this day. Babylon just continues to grab countries and nations and lands. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is all full of himself and has this great idea of making a 90-foot-tall statue. And when he does, he declares to everyone in, in his empire that there's going to be some musical instruments playing, and as soon as you hear that, you need to bow down and worship the image that I've set up. Okay, church, listen. There's something wrong with that announcement, right? Okay, just stay with me. So the music plays, and you know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men of God, just stood. 
Everyone else bowed down, and they stood. Again, I want to point out something to you. They didn't petition the king. Listen to me. They didn't gather a group of people to tell him why he was wrong for making this edict. They didn't let everybody else know, saying, hey, we need to oppose what's going on right here. Let's gather together and say, we won't bow. We have the right because God's word says, don't bow. No, church, listen. When everyone else was bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. They didn't preach. They didn't proclaim. They simply stood on God's word. And in their stance of silence, a message rang out that went to the king. Everyone's bowing but these three guys. The message got there. You don't have to worry. Remember? Do it God's way. Do it God's way. They didn't assemble a protest. They simply lived in obedience to God's word. So of course they're called out for it. Brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar is really ticked off. Like, who do you think you are to defy me? If you don't bow this time, I'm going to burn you in that oven over there. You're going to be toast. I'm giving you one last chance, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to have them strike up the music. Bow. You know we read these words, right? I'm going to give you one more chance. Here's your opportunity. If you refuse, you're done. These are the words we read. O Nebuchadnezzar, we need not defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, please hear this. Listen to their response. They're still honoring the king. They said, we're honoring God first, but we recognize you, your kingship and your majesty. They're honoring them with the word. Acknowledging that they serve God first, but acknowledging he is the king. Listen to it as we go now. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now look, they made a stance. They declared what truth they believed in. They recognized that when they made that declaration, there were going to be consequences for their actions. They were told the consequences. That if you don't give in to me, I'm going to kill you. And they said, it's okay. We trust God. He can deliver us, and even if he doesn't, I still trust God. He's my God. Okay, so now Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's ticked off, says, heat that oven up. I want it as hot as it's ever been. Find them, throw them in. Tells us in the word, in that chapter, Daniel, that those soldiers that took them and threw them in, when the, the door was open on the furnace, it killed those guards. It was so hot. Throw those guys in there to toast. Nebuchadnezzar sitting up here in his, his little high and mighty seat probably feeling a lot better about himself about then makes this statement right here in verse 25 look Nebuchadnezzar shouted I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. You see the change? It's awesome stuff, man. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. 
Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair was singed on their head. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Isn't that awesome? God's word's amazing, isn't it? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, check out the difference in this guy. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Before I read it anymore, just let that sink in. That pagan got the message. He knew why they were standing. They weren't demanding their rights. They said, we stand with God. And he knew it. Therefore, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Isn't that awesome? Man, that is, that is a pagan king making a declaration of acknowledgement to who God is. He didn't know God. He just now knew of him. This is Nebuchadnezzar's first encounter with the living God. And how did he encounter him? By men of God standing for truth, not demanding anything. demanding anything, just standing for truth, standing for God in silence. Okay. There's more to this story. Church, so much more. See, there's always more that God is doing than what we understand. There's no way that Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, those guys, when they were walking into prison into Babylon, with their hands chained and being taken as captives, that they ever think like, well, I can't wait for my future. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. You know, I can't wait to get to Babylon. Seriously, think about it. They were prisoners. They had no idea what God was up to, but God was up to something. God's always up to something. God was doing something. God was stirring. God was revealing to this pagan king who he is. Check it out. It's not over with yet. As King Nebuchadnezzar says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. Remember Jeremiah 29? See, that message from God was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, and the other captives that were there. Pray for the peace and the welfare of this nation where I'm sending you. Pray for them. Do what's right. Live right there so that I can be glorified and I'll take care of you and you'll be taken care of. All right. Just so you know, this is where we're at. So here these guys are promoted. They were already in his official ranks. Now after this, they're elevated and given another place of honor. When you read the book of Daniel, you'll know he had another place of honor because God lifted him up because he stayed true to God's word. So let's stay with this for a minute because what we see is the very next chapter of Daniel, which is chapter 4, stepping from the fiery furnace encounter. We go into chapter 4 now. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has a head knowledge that there is a God out there that is all-powerful. He has a dream. And who does he seek to, to 
to interpret the dream for him, but a man of God, Daniel. Because something about this dream he knew was something is significant and important, and he needed to know what it meant. So he sought out a man of God, Daniel. Daniel comes to him, and Daniel tells the king, tell me your dream. There's only one who can interpret this. It's God. Please know that when you read this. In chapter 4, Daniel does not say, look, I can do this. Oh, yeah, I got this. Tell me your dream. Hey, there's only one. It's God. Now tell me, because he's going to do this for us right now. Okay, so now this is what happens. Daniel interprets the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. And as he does, we're going to step into chapter 4 in the interpretation moment. So Nebuchadnezzar explains the dream to Daniel. Daniel says, verse 24, This is what the dream means, your majesty. Notice, honor. Did you hear that? See, Daniel's honoring the king for who he is. But check it out. Listen to the exact wording now. This is what the dreams, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High declared will happen to my Lord the King. So now Daniel has just set an order of precedence. I recognize you as king and that you are over my life, but there is one who is above all of us, including you, the Most High. So Daniel's making something very clear in the interpretation. We're talking about God here, sir. Now let's see what he has to say. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to whoever he chooses. Did you hear that? God said, seven years you're going to live like an animal. You need to be humbled, boy. You need to recognize I'm God. You're not. Church, check it out. This is what he's telling them. He does what he wants. Verse 26, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. That was part of his dream. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Isn't that awesome? Here you go, verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Isn't that cool? You remember that prayer in Jeremiah? See, now Daniel's saying, like, king, like, you're facing something pretty major here, and, and it's going to go down, and you're not going to like it. You, you need to repent. You need to follow God's ways, because God's doing this. And listen to that. He said, perhaps you'll continue to prosper. You're prospering because God's allowing you to prosper. Seek him. He doesn't listen. Verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, He's taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. 
See how full of himself he is? Verse 31. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time, seven years that is, will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know God is good to his word. God is good to his word. The story doesn't end there, thank God. Listen to verse 34. Seven years have passed now. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. (laughs) My sanity returned, and I praised, and I worshiped the Most High, and honored the one who lives forever. (laughs) Man, isn't that awesome? Hey, guys, this guy understood. All of a sudden, a revelation happened to him. He's like, the guys that were in the fire. Oh, the dream. He is God. Oh, I worship you. I'm nothing. You are the most high. Do you see what happened? The most high and honored, the one who lives forever. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor, glory, and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he's able to humble the proud. (laughs) that's some great stuff isn't it it's like man so full of himself all of a sudden it's like whoa i am nothing and neither is anyone else church please hear that part in his statement when he talks about god you know how many people are talking to god and saying how could you let this happen who do you think you are why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing this why is this going on you ought to change this you ought to look what king nebuchadnezzar a former pagan said god Who is it can ever question what you're doing? Ladies and gentlemen, in this nation in which we live, in this world at such a time as this, I want you to know God is up to something. That doesn't mean it's always going to be easy for us. It doesn't mean everything is going to be great. But we need to pray that it is. So God uses these men to speak truth to a pagan uh, king. They stand for God. They stand for what is right. And God gives them the opportunity and they speak life into the heart of this pagan. And as a result of that, he meets God. Pretty cool, huh? Jumping into the New Testament because, and don't worry, I'm aware of what time we are and where we're at. I'm just going to jump in there for a second. We were preaching in uh, Acts chapter 4 about Peter and John going up to the temple. 
cripple guy's there. Silver and gold we don't got, but hey, in the name of Jesus, get up. He gets up. He's praising God, jumping around. They preach Jesus. They're arrested because they're preaching Jesus, and the officials told them not to preach Jesus. So they're arrested. They're standing before their accusers, and they're told that uh, don't do this anymore. Here you go, verse 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. So they're making a stand. They're speaking truth. Now, don't, don't miss this part. When they go back, and it's in Acts chapter 4, if you read it, when they go back to the other apostles and the followers of Christ, they don't rally the troops to go march on Jerusalem. They pray. They pray. God, you heard them. You know what they're telling us. Give us boldness to preach the truth. Please understand this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Peter and John, none of the apostles, none of them go there saying they have any rights. They're not promoting themselves or their agendas. It's always about the Most High and His plan. Always. They do it again. And this is the way God has called His people to live no matter what political structure is over them or not. No matter where they find themselves, God has called His people to put Him above all else and to live in such a way that you're always glorifying Him. So they simply shared Jesus. No marches, no rebellions, no nothing. They just obeyed God. Now, they were imprisoned. They were beaten. And they were killed for their faith. <laughs> it's reality. But they always glorified the Most High God. They served Him. They let others know about Him, and as a result, the gospel message spread around the world and continues today. It's the most important thing of anything, more than anything else. Church, you and I are going to be held accountable by God for our actions, for our words. The Word of God declares the things that we share in secret will be shouted from the, the rooftops. So God's not okay with you like being incognito on social media with a different name saying stuff you shouldn't say. He knows. He knows who you are. He knows what you're saying. Look, kindly I'm saying this. God is not about your political agenda. He's not about my political agenda. He's about the redemption of souls. Not that he doesn't care about politics. He's, his word declares already that he's the one that establishes people in power and places. Now, you and I have the ability to look back in the Old Testament and say, wow, man, I see God at work in that pagan empire. Look how he humbled that guy. Look, they didn't see any of that when they were being led in chains out of their homeland. God was up some. You and I may see a bunch of confusion right now. We may not understand what's happening. We may see a bunch of craziness. But I want you to know God's up to something. God's up to something. And if we, his people, will stand upon his truth and recognize who he is and stop demanding our ways and our ideas, but his ways and his ideas, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Church, we need to be that people. God's going to call us and hold us accountable for our actions. 
We're going to stand before God above all else. We have to stand for God above all else. All right? Everything else needs to come under Him. Everything else. My wife, my kids, my ministry, my everything, my nothing is more important than my God. See, we're, we're, we're called by God to work for the peace and prosperity of our country. We're, we're supposed to pray for it, for its well-being. And look, um, the fall of a government's going to bring disaster on everyone. God's telling us this. He's warning us. When any government falls, it brings disaster. Just so you know, if you don't know, we're on the brink of disaster. If there's anybody that ought to be doing something about it, the right something should be the church and we should be on our knees to the most high praying for peace prosperity and assistance in this time of need because we know who he is and this is what god says to us second chronicles chapter seven y'all know this verse you know this verse this is god speaking to his people about the nation if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. This is not a promise to the pagan. God is calling his people to confess their sin, to live right with him, and then he'll hear their prayer and do something in their nation. It's on us, church. It's not on any political group. It's not Democrats and Republicans. It's God. It's God. He's who we need more than anything else. We as his people should be beseeching him for his help in this time of need. The altar's open. If you need to repent, delete your accounts, whatever you need to do, you need to make it happen today. Church, we got to live right. We're going to pay. We're going to have to give account. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for the instructions that fit into our life in every category of our life. God, your word is truth. Help us to live that truth and be that truth. God, we pray for peace and prosperity in Tucson, Pima County, Arizona, the United States, and the world. We need you, God. We need you desperately. God, please speak your truth into the hearts of those in leadership in the government around us, in the court systems, and all those in authority. God, we pray that you would just bless them with peace and understanding of who you are. Let us be your people as you've called us to be. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. The altar's open. If you want to pray, come and be here. Yeah, man, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>